Welcome to the Present in the Pain Podcast, a weekly show that looks at the experience of pregnancy and child loss through the lens of the Catholic faith. I'm your host, Eileen Tully. This is the Present in the Pain Podcast, and I'm your host, Eileen Tully. In our last episode, we started a new series talking about the complexity of grief, and we discussed a little bit about grieving with hope. And I shared that it's important to understand what to expect in grief in order to be able to have hope while we're grieving. And the first reason for this is what we're going to talk about today, that grieving the loss of a child is uniquely difficult in both its intensity and its duration. So I wanted to look at first the intensity of the experience of child loss because I found it to be much more intense, much more all-consuming than the loss of a relative in my life. So I had experienced the loss of grandparents. I had lost an uncle. I even lost some peers in car accidents and things in school. So the intensity of losing a child, both in my miscarriages and then in our stillbirth and infant death situation with our twins, was so much more um, all-consuming for me. And I'm sure that you probably have found that to be the case for you. I mentioned before that there are those five stages of grief that maybe you had heard about before. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. These are called the Kubler-Ross stages of grief. And while they sound very linear, the understanding behind them is that they aren't just this easy linear progression from one to the other. But what I found was that I had a hard time understanding where I fit in there. For me, it felt like as soon as my baby died, I was... I mean, I, I, it felt like depression. I felt just pinned under this weight of, of grief and unable to function. Um, I had just numbness where they're calling it denial, but it just felt like I was so numb. My brain was just separate from everything else that was going on around me. I found that I had such difficulty making decisions. I had three little boys at home and trying to grieve while helping them was so very difficult for me. And so just the decision of what's going to be for dinner or what are we going to do today, it I felt just foggy and confused and I wasn't able to do that. I, that those kinds of things don't really fit on those five stages. And I really struggled with understanding where am I on my grief journey when this is lasting longer than I thought. And then maybe out of the exhaustion of that, out of the confusion would come sort of an irritability with my family who I loved and I knew that they were grieving too, but I didn't, I didn't know where that came from and I was really upset with myself for feeling like that. I had intrusive thoughts of the experience of the death of my children just over and over again and I wondered I just spent so much time in my head wondering when that would ever end. There was a physical pain and suffering and ache 
that I experienced and an exhaustion that I experienced because of grief. And I felt like I just had so much guilt blaming myself because really in the process of grieving, we want to look for a reason why it happened. And when we have a grandparent or even a peer who died in a car accident, we have an illness of an older person that, that's an easy reason to point to and say, oh, that, this is why they died. But when you experience a pregnancy loss or the loss of an infant, the why is so much harder. And that question that remains unanswered is looking for an answer. And the easiest person to blame is ourselves, that surely we were the mother. So we must have been, it must have been something that we did or we didn't do, something that we missed that we should have known. And then there was just this intense guilt, which also is not really in those five stages, the guilt that I felt uh, after the loss, just wondering what I could have done differently, what I should have done differently, um, and just looking for the, a reason that it must have happened must have been something that I missed. Not only that, but the grieving, it really touches every area of our lives. I found that relating to others was different. Thinking about my the way I just experienced myself was different. The way my husband and I related to one another was different. The way I related to God was different. All of these things, I didn't have... I didn't have any of those changes when other people in my life died. But here I am grieving the loss of my child and recognizing that now just everything, everything is different. Um, and then that grieving carries forward in a way that is different from other losses, whereas another person were missing the experience of life that we had with them. With the death of our child, we're missing the experience going forward from their death. And so we're missing always the place where they would be in our family. And so if anybody asked me, how old would your children be? Would your child be at this time? I can always tell you, I always know that my girls would be, I would have 11-year-old twins in my life right now if they hadn't died. And that they're always missing from our Christmas. They're always, there's always two stockings missing on the, on the railing with the other stockings. There's always two Easter baskets missing, right? They're always just where they should be, where they might be, where they could be. How would our family dynamic be different? That's always in the back of my mind. And, you know, it's not something now, this, this many years later, it's not something that's still haunts me like it did, but it, for years, it really just, I really did spend so much time thinking about how our family would be with them in it. And the second thing I want to talk about is the duration, which is kind of included with that. It, it, it lasts so much longer than I thought it would. Um, grief does not have a timeline and <laughs> some People, I guess, seem to heal quickly from it and others take longer. It takes as long as it takes. For me, it took a long time. It took many years. And to outsiders or other people who haven't ever experienced this kind of a loss, it will definitely 
to them seem to take too long. No matter how long it takes, you'll, they'll wonder, you're still grieving this? Like you haven't moved on. They'll think maybe you're spending too much time dwelling on this and sort of just be like, huh, like this is still something that you're dealing with. But yes, it is. It takes a long time. They don't know this, thankfully, but it really does. But then what can happen is that we can start to take that on ourselves and even put that pressure on ourselves. Should I be still feeling this? Am I dwelling on this because my mind is going round and round? Am I not handling this the way that I should be? Should I be further along in the process? It can feel really hopeless if we think that we're stuck in our grief. So that's why I want to talk about this in the context of grieving with hope is understanding that complexity of grief and the length of time that it takes and the intensity, the way it touches everything. When we know that that's normal, that there's other people who have it, who experience it in that way, then we can have hope. Okay, you experienced it like this, then I can get beyond this stage. There will be a beyond this stage. That can be our hope. Not only our spiritual hope that we hope to be reunited with our children again someday, and that hope, that theological virtue of hope, but also just the hope that this experience of suffering will come to an end. And it doesn't feel sometimes if we worry that we're taking too long or people suggest that we're taking too long in our grieving, it doesn't feel like it will come to an end. So when we allow ourselves the time that we need, when we're gentle with ourselves, when we recognize that it takes a really long time and we don't take on those shoulds, like I should be feeling this by now, or I shouldn't still be feeling this. When we allow ourselves the time we need to feel and process our grief, instead of putting limits on ourselves, then that is when we begin to heal. And this is very difficult to do, because there are so many distractions. I think I mentioned that in the trailer episode, that there are so many distractions. There's so many ways for us to distract ourselves from the uncomfortable feelings of pain that we have. Of course, if you feel like you're not making progress in your healing, or you feel like it might be complicated somehow, it could be helpful to talk to a counselor to understand what things are normal in grieving. And if your experience of grief is not normal, in fact, next week, I will be interviewing, God willing, a a Catholic therapist who's going to talk to us about what things are normal in grief and the way that maybe trauma can sometimes complicate our grieving and what to look for to know if that's happening to you. But to continue with what we were discussing last week on grieving with hope, that verse in First Thessalonians where Paul talks about not grieving like those who have no hope, as I mentioned that hope of being reunited with our children again because of the work of Christ on the cross and his death and resurrection. This is our spiritual hope. It's that theological virtue of hope. But we also experience suffering in our bodies. And Romans talks about the fact that we, all of creation is groaning with pain until the day of redemption, like when Christ comes back for us because of the fall, because of sin, 
the whole of creation is suffering and groaning. It's not really the way it's supposed to be. So in the meantime, what are some helpful ways we can endure this kind of suffering on earth while we're waiting for this, uh, the suffering that's both intense and long lasting and what things can help us get through it. So I thought I would talk about five remedies for sorrow and pain that St. Thomas Aquinas offers and share those with you so that if you have not heard these before, they are just practical ways to experience our suffering in a way that encompasses the needs of our body and our soul. Do you feel distanced from God since the death of your child? Do you wish that there was someone you could talk to who understood the pain of this unique kind of loss? The Present in the Pain community is an online group of Catholic women who have experienced pregnancy and child loss. Come and find the support and understanding that you need to heal. Visit EileenTully.com and click on Community. So the first remedy that St. Thomas offers is pleasure, which sometimes can be difficult to allow ourselves to feel when we are suffering. Sometimes we don't enjoy the same things that we used to, or we might feel guilty for having pleasure again after something painful happens like a loss. But St. Thomas says that pleasure assuages pain, which we know to be true. But not every pleasure is beneficial to us. So sometimes when we escape into overeating or drinking alcohol or scrolling our phone on our phones those kinds of things might assuage our pain in the moment and feel pleasurable in the moment but they're not actually very good for us in the long run so the other remedies that St Thomas suggests are mostly pleasurable but also really good for us so the second one he offers is weeping which I know to be true and you may know to be true in your experience of grief, that sometimes you just have a day where you cry for the whole day. (laughs) And maybe if somebody asked you what specifically was causing your tears and beyond obviously the loss of your child, but even just like, what are you working through today that is causing, what are you thinking about that's causing this weeping, you may not even be able to give an answer. But by the end of the day, or even the next day, if your weeping subsides, you feel like you have actually processed through something. And that in and of itself has been healing. So St. Thomas says that where there's laughter and smiling, there's increased joy. But weeping rather than increasing sorrow actually diminishes it. First, he says it's because a hurtful thing hurts yet more if we keep it shut up, shut up inside us. But if it's allowed to escape, then the soul's intention is dispersed on outward things and the inward sorrow that we have is lessened. But second, he says that weeping is a remedy for sorrow because an action that befits a man according to his actual disposition is always pleasant to him. Think about those times that somebody asks you, how are you doing? And you weigh quickly in your head whether you can actually tell them how you're doing or it's easier to just say, fine, I'm fine, I'm good. And we know that 
<laughs> over time, when we put on that happy face, when we're not really feeling happy, it actually just doesn't befit us according to our disposition. So when we do that for others, we say that we're fine. It doesn't take long for us to recognize that that actually doesn't feel good. And it's actually hard to maintain that for a length of time. So weeping is actually more befitting and saying, I'm not doing well. I'm really struggling. Those kinds of things are more befitting us so that it's more pleasant to us to actually behave in the way that we're feeling. So I thought that was such an interesting one, but I found it to be true of my own grieving process. The third remedy for sorrow offered by St. Thomas is sharing our sorrows with friends. And he references Aristotle who said that a sorrow shared is a sorrow halved. Maybe you've heard that before. But he goes on to add further that when a man's friends condole with him, he sees that he is loved by them and this affords him pleasure. And as we know from the first point that every pleasure assuages sorrow. So this kind of love from your friends is beneficial. It's pleasurable to you to see that your friends are comforting you and you can share your burdens with them. But this one can be challenging in the experience of child loss because not all of our friends are able to enter into our suffering with us. And we're going to talk in the coming weeks about the changes to our relationships that happen. But not all of them can enter into that pain with us, especially I think because if your child can die, then their child can die. And that just feels so very uncomfortable to them that they don't want to think about it. So they kind of either don't ask you about it or don't want to talk to you about it. They can't really empathize with you because that empathizing, that putting themselves in your place is just so painful. And so when we're trying to share our sorrows with others and we encounter someone who can't empathize with us, it can actually make us feel worse and it can damage the relationship. Maybe you felt that happen. But when we find those friends, when we have those friends who can can accompany us, we really treasure those relationships. The fourth remedy that St. Thomas offers for sorrow is contemplating the truth. And so continuing on the idea of pleasure, Thomas Aquinas says, the greatest of all pleasures consists in the contemplation of truth. Now every pleasure assuages pain, so the contemplation of truth would assuage our pain and sorrow. So he goes back to that pleasure, and that contemplation of truth is the greatest pleasure. But the truth is that, well... Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. The truth is Jesus. And so when we think about the highest truth that we can contemplate, that would be Christ himself. So sometimes when we're suffering, God can feel far away. Maybe it feels like the things that he's told us about himself and his word are not really the truth And so we can feel like, are you really good? Do you really love us? Like, do you really have a purpose for this to happen? Is my child really with you? Is this, will I really be with them someday? So those things that we, that we find to be easy to believe when we're not suffering can feel really 
difficult to believe, or maybe like, is my faith all in vain? Or is this really the truth? Were you really being truthful to me when you said that? But um, contemplating the truths that God has revealed about himself to us already, the things that we already know about him, the things that we knew and believed about him before our loss, before our suffering, can really just recall, help us to recall his goodness, even in the time of pain and sorrow. Um, I loved that on Father Mike Schmitz's Bible in a Year podcast, he went into this a little bit to talk about how the Hebrew people wore a small leather pouch on their arms and around their heads called a tefillin that contained a scroll inside with the Lord's commands and promises in them. And they had a small box called a mezuzah on their doorpost that had those scrolls too. But as Catholics, we have the Eucharist, we have the crucifix, we have our sacramental objects, we have images of the saints, we have the Bible. And the Word of God talks about all of the promises that He has to never leave us or forsake us, that He is with us always, that He's near to the brokenhearted. All of these truths are so good for us to contemplate when we're suffering, and the contemplation of these truths are ways that we can assuage our pain and sorrow. And finally, my favorite one... <laughs> Because it's so practical and it so shows how St. Thomas Aquinas understood that we suffer in our body, our physical body, as well as our soul. He says a warm bath and a nap are the fifth remedies for sorrow. Um, And he just knows that, you know, it can cause us physical ache. What he says is, sorrow by reason of its specific nature is repugnant to the vital movement of the body, and consequently whatever restores the bodily nature to its due state of vital movement is opposed to sorrow and assuages it. So <laughs> the stress and and physical toll of grieving can actually wreak havoc on our bodies, and it's a good reminder not to neglect the care of our physical selves as we are healing from the loss of our child. So I thought those five remedies were were very helpful. I found them only after I created my first retreats for grieving mothers and unknowingly had incorporated many of them because I just found them to be true of my own grief experience. I incorporated many of them into my retreat and talking, just discussing them and talking about them. So again, I'm going to share with you that I have uh, an online retreat, that we have a special community where we can do the weeping together, we can do the sharing our sorrows together, we can contemplate the truth together. All of that takes place in the context of our online community Um, the warm bath and the nap is one that you're going to have to take care of yourself, but everything else just about we can, um, share together in this space. And I will put the link to it below in the comments. Um, the online community is still new, so it still has a special introductory rate and it has all different price points so that it is sure to be able to fit into your family's budget even now when money is so tight for all of us. But, 
Um, it is just a place where you can find accompaniment, where you can share your story, where you can find like-minded people to support you and encourage you and help you in your healing journey. So that's all for this episode. And next week, I hope to be back with an interview with uh, your faithful therapist, a Catholic therapist who's going to talk to us about grieving and trauma. So until then, I'm Eileen Tully, and I'm so thankful that you're here. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please consider hitting subscribe and leaving a review so that other people are better able to find it. Also, if you're interested in becoming a supporter of the show in any amount, it would be helpful for maintaining the podcast hosting and production costs. Thanks for prayerfully considering that.